Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast post-victory edition of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Florida beats Texas A&M 41-24, and that means we have a lot to talk about, a lot to celebrate, and a lot to ponder, perhaps, as we look forward. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog, and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. My co-host, Dustin Smith, is also with us today. You can follow him on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. My other co-host, Chris Yanes, also with us today. You can follow him at Mr. Crispitz on Twitter. And we've got a lot to talk about today. Gator football gets a big win. Gator basketball tips off its season, both men and women. Gator tennis star Ben Shelton wins his first ATP Challenger tournament. That's huge for him. So a ton of stuff to talk about. But before we get into all of that, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that sends underprivileged or deserving Gator fans to the swamp. We collect donations from fans and we use them to bring someone to his or her first ever Gator football game. If you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for 2023, it's never too early for us to start thinking about that. So please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. And of course, as always, donations are very much appreciated, although not expected. But if you would like to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the donate button. Second, we're proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above areas, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one is it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. Two, it is run by a UF alum and big-time Gator fan. And three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from In All Kinds of Weather because they did our new logo and our new website, too. Uh, Oh, and they also did the Gator Good Foundation website, and they did the Gator Collective website and the new Gator Collective logo, and they do the marketing for the Charleston Gator Club. So if you are listening to this podcast and you need help in any of the aforementioned areas, rest assured that Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. So with that said, let's talk Gators. Main topic of discussion today is obviously going to be football. That is the breadwinner here, but we call ourselves the everything school. So we'd be doing y'all a disservice if we didn't at least mention what's going on with other sports. So let's start with Gator Volleyball. This team is elite. They are killing it this year. 19-4 and four on the season, 11-2 and two in the SEC. They're ranked number eight in the country. They long ago locked up their spot in the NCAA tournament. Now they're fighting to get as high a seat as possible so they can host as many rounds of the tournament as possible. I was actually there in person to watch them against LSU. They looked very much the part of a top 10 team. Also went on the road and beat Wisconsin in Madison, which doesn't happen very often. Wisconsin is a a national powerhouse that almost always protects its home floor. Florida won there. And obviously they haven't missed a beat since then as evidenced by their 11 and two record in the sec so great team that lost a lot from last year but it's clear that mary wise again has something going this year so 
definitely a lot to be excited about and look forward to for them. And we'll certainly be cheering for them the rest of the way. And hopefully we can finally get that elusive title this season. Men's and women's basketball seasons got started today. Florida women had a little bit of trouble with Florida AM early coming out of the gate, probably just you know season opening nerves, but the talent disparity eventually kicked in and Florida wound up beating FAMU by 30. KK Deans, great to see her come alive and I mean right away make an impact off the bench. I mean, she had some like 13 points in the first seven or eight minutes of, of action on the floor. Uh, definitely going to be someone that Florida needs to be productive as the year goes along. And she was that in spades. Florida women's basketball, of course, in their first season with Kelly Ray Finley as the full-time head coach. It is her second season. There was the interim tag looming over her last year. There was uncertainty. Even as the team started winning and winning and winning, there was a little uncertainty there as to how that was going to go. Of course, as she kept winning, that certainty became more and more clear that she was going to be the one. But anyway, it is her first full season as the Florida Gators full-time head coach that she can recruit other girls saying, hey, I'm the full-time head coach of Florida Gators. So far, so good. 1-0 with the win over FAMU. The men's basketball team doing a number on Stony Brook. We're actually recording this just before the game ended, so we don't have the final score. But as of right now, as of the recording, Florida is beating Stony Brook 58-27 to with 9.47 to go in the second half. I think we've seen enough. We can call this a dub for Florida. Uh, they're not choking away a 31-point lead with less than 10 minutes to go. This isn't Mike White anymore. So, uh, yeah, that that cheap shot aside, uh, Florida's got a lot of potential with this team. I mean, I love what I saw from Will Richard. I love what I saw from Alex Fudge at, at this juncture with now 9.26 to go. Florida still up 58 to 27 with 926 left at this point both of them have 14 points Alex Fudge is actually shooting free throws so now he's he's got 15 anyway I love what I saw from them I love the ball movement I love the ball movement that this Florida offense is showing there's not any of this stand around and dribble maybe get a screen hope to get lucky when you fling up an ill-advised shot there's none of that that the team is moving the ball that there are bad possessions here and there just I think freshmen getting a little excited but overall definitely liking what I'm seeing from the Gators offensively the defensive hustle the defensive intensity is absolutely sensational again it is Stony Brook we you know we say this all the time you have to take in, into consideration the level of opponent and it is not a very strong opponent in Stony Brook but nonetheless the guys are moving their feet they're talking to each other on defense there's a lot of communication going on it, it's 75% of one game we're talking about, but the super early returns on this team are definitely very good. So I'm going to say as Alex Fudge hits a second free throw, it's now 60 to 27. Florida's going to win this game and start out 1-0 on the men's side as well. And last but not least, now former Gator tennis star Ben Shelton continues his meteoric rise in the sport of tennis. He just won his first ATP Challenger event in Charlottesville, Virginia, beating his good friend Chris Eubanks in the final, another hotshot young player who's got a bright future. And after Ben beat him, super classy gesture on the part of Chris Eubanks. Chris just takes the microphone from the interviewer and starts telling the crowd that he hoped that they enjoyed watching Ben play because they probably never would again because Ben is just shooting up the rankings that fast and he won't need the challenger tournaments to make the main draws of the real major tournaments. So Ben 
assuming he keeps getting more ranking points, will just go right to the main draws if he's in the top 104 in the world because his ranking will just be high enough. He, does, he doesn't need the challengers. So classy gesture there. Shout out to Chris Eubanks for that. Ben, shout out to you for continuing that meteoric rise of yours. Keep it going. Keep it rolling. Keep repping that orange and blue on the pro circuit. And I'll see you back in New York City for the U.S. Open next year. And with that said, Chris and Dustin are with me today. Guys, before we get into Gator football, we've got our own athlete on here to celebrate. Chris just completed the New York City Marathon. Chris, first of all, congratulations. Tell us a little about your experience. I see that medal. Tell us about your experience. Yeah, I came back with a little extra bling from New York. It was a great, great race, great opportunity to get up there and run the world's largest marathon and soaked it all in the crowds of new york are incredible so uh couldn't be more thankful for the experience and uh finish strong finish strong it was a hot day out there historically hot day for new york this time of year but did the best we could and uh definitely look forward to the next one so uh how was uh aggieland you did your own traveling yourself yeah i did uh long flight down to houston it's about three hours 30 minutes in the air from new york i think that's like halfway from New York city to London. Um, anyway, then it's about a 90 minute car ride from Houston to Texas A&M people. there are very nice, uh, standing in the line to get in, trying to get up those steep steps to my seats. People ask, you know, how was your trip? Where are you from? How long are you here? Oh, you're from New Jersey. That's awesome. We never get folks from up there down in these parts. How'd you become a gator? Oh, that's awesome. Well, here's a bunch of stuff to do. Check out Dixie chicken. Also the barbecue here in this place in Navasota is great. Um, so on and so forth. Definitely the best fans I've experienced in the SEC so far. I did not get to experience the midnight yell. I was disappointed. Um, I understand why there was terrible weather there. I literally drove past a tornado and there were lightning strikes every 20 seconds. So definitely understood that. Um, plus I did watch the live stream of their midnight yell from the Miami game. So I kind of got the gist of that. Uh, last thing people there do not like Texas. I mean, you think FSU has little brother syndrome towards Florida. It is not comparable at all to what they feel about Texas. Everything, their whole culture is F Texas. Like 75% of AM's fight song is anti Texas compared to 25% pro Aggies. I mean, literally eight lines in the fight song, six of them are screwed at Longhorns. Google the lyrics if you think I'm kidding. Um, I mean, they have their own hand sign. It's a thumbs up and they say, gig them. You wouldn't know it from spending a day down there. They, they don't use that to talk to each other. They greet each other with horns down and yeah, screw the Longhorns. Like, yeah, we just lost by three scores to a mediocre Florida team, but yeah, screw Texas. So, Definitely an experience I'd recommend. Fans are nice. People are nice. It's a great atmosphere, but it, it's different. It's it's just it's just very different. So speaking of that game itself, a tale of two halves for sure. Florida did win. They got the victory. They got some payback on Jimbo. They got some payback for 2020. Guys, what did we think? Well, I think that it was a turning point for the season and a turning point potentially in the Billy Dacre era. You know, Billy kind of talked about it in his press conference as well, that he felt that this was going to be a game changer for AR's career and for a lot of players on the team. This was a win we needed to have. And I think our percentage now of getting to a bowl game exponentially increased. So barring any you know late season debacle of losing three consecutive games, we're going to be going bowling this season, which is a huge need to get those 15 practices. So I thought the team responded incredibly well, though, in the second half. Shout out to the players. Shout out to the coaching staff, especially for making some fantastic second half adjustments and getting us a big win where we only surrendered 29 second half 
yards on the defensive side of the ball. So probably the best defense performance if you just look at the second half and, and then probably the most efficient performance of, of Anthony Richardson's career at the University of Florida. So could not be more pleased with the progress that this team has made. 96 total yards of offense in the second half, not 29. Was it 90? I thought it was fine. I read that somewhere 29. Uh, forgive me. That's that's my that's but me being nonetheless, a close game. Yeah. Nonetheless, uh definitely a switch flip. Uh Dustin, you've been quiet. What do you think? Well, guys, I'm elated at the outcome of this game. I really have three takeaways, and they're all in Dustin fashion. They're all numbers based so my first number it is in my opinion the biggest number of the game and it's the number zero florida had zero interceptions thrown anthony richardson for the third game in a row through three through through zero interceptions and i am incredibly impressed with that another zero which was to me even more impressive than the first one zero points given up to Texas A&M in the second half. That's amazing. If you think about it, if you think about all the woes that we've had uh, defensively, especially in that third quarter, to, to, to give up zero is a huge deal. Another number that, I, that I'm really passionate about and excited about, and, and if you're following me on Twitter, you probably saw this as well, 291. Florida ran the ball for 291 yards in this game. Huge deal because in order for us to have beaten Texas A&M, which we did, we had to have run the ball effectively. And last but not least, a number, it is actually a fraction, but I'm going to call it a number anyway because it technically is mathematically. Four of 13. Yes, we gave up only four third down conversions out of 13 attempts by Texas A&M. That is 30.7%. Huge deal considering once again, how awful, how putrid, how disgusting, how abhorrent. There's not enough words in the English language to describe how terrible we were on third down. And to come in this game and to at first not be so hot in that department to start the game, but the way this team finished really stuck out to me. And we'll we'll get to in a second what this means to the program as a whole, but Neil, Chris, I'm elated. I'm excited. Neil, I know you got the chance to experience it. There's a reason why I shied away from going to this game, to be honest. You went in all kinds of weather. We all stick together. And you, my friend, were rewarded with a wonderful outcome, 41 to 24. And uh, I might just be bringing my Go Gators at the end of the game or at the end of the pod. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well... I mean, Dustin, you you do call me Debbie Downer, so may as well earn that nickname. Uh, well, I, I mean, it, it's your thing. I mean, context, context, context is your thing. So I may as well just just bring that here and just validate my nickname that you call me um, in the same breath. Context is this is a terrible Texas A&M team. Yes, I, they're all five stars. Yes, they gave Alabama a fight. But they also came into this game three and five. That's not a mistake. I mean, even if you want to call Appalachian State a fluke, they still barely beat a terrible Miami team that FSU managed to beat by six touchdowns. They got rocked by Mississippi State. 
They needed a crazy fluke play to survive against an Arkansas team that's really come back down to earth after a breakthrough year last year. So, I mean, we'll give them, you know, two fluke results. We'll give them that App State was a fluke. Arkansas fluke the other way. They have, a, I think, an 85-yard touchdown on a fumble recovery return. So throw those both out because those are both anomalies. They cancel each other out. Look at the rest of the results. They have not won a game, period, since September. This is just a bad team when it's healthy. They're talented. They'll stay in games because of that, but it's just not a good football team when you look at the way they execute, or more accurately, the way they don't execute. And they just find ways to lose. Now, take that from their fully healthy team, take that down to their C squad, and that's the team that Florida played. They're already down Anaya Smith. You may remember him from the game two years ago. He's hurt back in September. Then you've got in-house problems, guys getting suspended for smoking weed in the locker room. Not starters, but that really killed their depth. And then the whole Aggie team was ravaged with the flu. Connor Wigman, their starting quarterback, out. Their backup quarterback, Max Johnson, who you may remember from LSU, he's out. So they're down to their third-string QB in Haynes King. Two starting defensive backs, out. A ton of contributors, not necessarily starters, but a ton of contributors who get a lot of playing time are out. Their kicker was out. So, yeah, team that was 3-5 and five and lost to App State, that's bad in itself. Now take that down to a lot of backups are playing from that team, and that's there is no excuse to lose to this team level bad. That said, Florida did not lose. They won, and the win was huge. I absolutely second that sentiment. It was a critical win for the Gator program simply because a loss would have been gutting because then with South Carolina, Vandy, and FSU to go, and at 4-5, and five, you're not guaranteed of a bowl game. You have to beat South Carolina and FSU to make a bowl game at that point. You need those 15 extra practices. That didn't happen. We're not in that spot. And, oh, yeah, also, as opposed to talking about the negatives that didn't happen, the positives that did happen, this was a big win because Florida beats Jimbo Fisher for just the second time ever. It's a big win because Florida wins a road game in the SEC. That doesn't happen very easily. I mean, the great teams would do it. The teams of uh, of Urban Meyer's days and even the Mullen teams would do it. But for a team that's in rebuilding mode, that's a big deal to go on the road to a place you're not familiar with. Granted, there were a lot of Florida fans. The Gators traveled well to this game, but still a, a pro Aggie crowd. And they won. And that's big. And the second half adjustments absolutely get praise. Florida's defense was just horrid in the first half. Gave up 317 yards of offense. Second half, switch flips. 96 yards. They strip Zach Hayne Kings twice. I saw some nice things in the second half from the defensive line. I saw some stunts. I saw some guys just shoot out of their stances and attack on the D-line like they were angry, which they should have been because this defense has been awful for most of the year, at least since Utah, and the results flipped on a dime. I thought Richardson was okay. He was fine. There was there was a mistake at the end of the first half he probably should not have made. Just got to be cognizant of the situation there. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second, but overall... I thought he read the field a little bit better. He took what the defense gave him a bit more, ran the ball with confidence, and his receivers stepping up. We'll talk about that in a minute too, but his receivers stepping up without Justin Shorter's presence on the field. So long story short, I'm happy. This was a big win. I'm thrilled at that, a road win. 
I traveled 3,000 miles round trip to watch it. I'm very happy. Please do not get me wrong. I'm not trying to grade on their parade. I'm just saying take into consideration the level of opponent that Florida beat. It was not a good team. It does not even mean anything for the rest of this year because the South Carolina-Texas A&M game that we saw a couple weeks ago, that was a more healthy Texas A&M team than what we saw this past Saturday. So just take it with a grain of salt. Celebrate it, yes, be happy, but just take it with a grain of salt and know that it doesn't guarantee anything the next three games. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it's important for us to get wins like this, like just for the bowl eligibility in those 15 additional practices in December that, 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 that can't be lost on anybody here that in order for this team to progress in the off season, we're going to need those additional practices in that time for the coaching staff to instill what they're trying to do to build this program. So it was a big win in that respect too. You've got to win these games. We were, a, you know, a slight underdog going in. I think that was really just because it was home field for, for Texas A&M, but I, th- I think the better team won on, on Saturday. I really do. I think this is a team that, you know, has been playing hard for their head coach all season. That's the opposite of what can be said about Texas A&M. There's a ton of culture problems right now in that program. And you can't say that about Florida right now. Florida does not have culture issues. They are starting to actively clean up the locker room and make sure that the guys that are buying into the culture and the vision that Billy Napier has uh, is there. And it showed up on Saturday. It, It showed up on Saturday in a big way in the second half. That team didn't quit like they have in all year. They didn't get discouraged you know, during some adverse moments of that game. And they responded very, very well in the second half. So incredibly pleased with the performance and, you know, not much more can be said. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that is the, 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 the main takeaway, uh, despite what I just said about how, yeah, it's their C squad. Yeah. It's their backups. Yeah. They were ravaged with the flu. The bottom line is you put a team in front of the Gators and you go play them. You don't, you know, you don't control how good or bad they are. You don't control how sick they may be in the locker room. You don't control the level of the opposition. You just, you have an opponent, put the ball down, you play. Florida did that, and I mean, the first half was really worrisome again because it was a situation where they weren't doing all the fundamental things right. I mean, the first, the first three drives of the game. I mean, the first drive of the game, touchdown. Second drive of the game, touchdown. Third drive of the game, AM has a touchdown, but Haynes King just misses a throw. The receiver, uh, Le- Le'Veon Moss is open. The touchdown is there. The bust in the Florida secondary, or I wouldn't even call it a bust because it was just a well-schemed play by AM. They had um they they had a they had an offensive lineman block. Antoine Powell Ryland and then forced him to try to cover a running back on a wheel route, which is very difficult. But it, in any case, Florida's defense was beaten. The touchdown was there and the quarterback missed the throw. That's not Florida getting a stop. That's just them getting lucky. But anyway, from that, they come into the second half. They finally apply some pressure. I see a lot of aggression, as I mentioned earlier on the lines of scrimmage. And it, it just seemed like Florida wanted it for the first time all year, I think maybe since the since the Utah game, maybe you can say Tennessee. The first time in a while that it seemed like Florida went out there and wanted a game for a full 30 minutes, not for a play, not for a drive, not for a couple drives in a row, but they wanted a win for extended periods of the game. And I appreciated that as someone who obviously traveled a long way down to watch that. Yeah, Neil, I, I think it's I think it's really great what we're seeing here. And something that you mentioned that that I know that I talk about a lot is context. And the context of this team, Florida, we're not a great team. Yeah, Texas A&M is pretty bad, but we're not a great team. Now, we've had 
quite a few close losses. All but one of those teams is in the top 10. If you, if you think about it, you have LSU, who's now in the top 10. You have uh, both Georgia and Tennessee. Um, really, really the worst loss in our schedule is to Kentucky, and they're not a terrible team. If you really think about it, the context of this game is huge. Billy Napier is building his program his way. And I think it says a lot about what the defense was able to do specifically. This defense has been under the eight ball since the third game of the season. Okay. We have completely eviscerated this defense on this podcast week in and week out. And they deserved it. But what they were able to do without arguably the most talented player on the team in Brandon Cox being dismissed is stupendous. And I think, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I would say it's addition by subtraction. Not because we lost such a talent, but in a lot of ways, we saw the defensive line rise up to the occasion. And arguably on tape, I would say that that was arguably the, the, the best defensive line performance that I've seen all year, especially in that second half. Was it perfect? Of course it, it wasn't perfect. Were we playing a great team? Of course we weren't playing a great team. But contextually, were there things that I wanted to see in this game that I finally had the chance to see after several games? Absolutely. That was a defining win, guys. Not because of the opponent, but because of the way that it was won. Because of the way that we finished. That second half dominance, that is something that we can carry the rest of the season. That is something that gives me hope moving into our remaining four games. We have to beat our remaining opponents. We, ha we have to beat FSU. But before we play them, we got to play South Carolina. We, ha we have games to win. Last but not least, I got to talk about Etienne. He, what an explosive and fluid runner. What a guy that cannot be brought down. I know there's a lot of excitement going, going and looking at the, in the NFL and seeing Pierce and, and all that he's doing. Well, when I see ETN run, I see flashes of Damian Pierce. And it's very special to see what he does. But arguably, ETN is actually faster. I cannot wait to see what he looks like in his prime when he is the feature back in this offense. Yeah, I agree, Dustin. I, I echo all that. And I, I just want to, you know, also just bring up the, the, the point of that you think you were alluding to is that a lot of young guys took their opportunity and stepped up. You know, shout out guys like Antoine Powell Ryland, who made some huge plays in this game. Prince Uman Nealand continuing to improve, had a slow start this season, and now made some big plays in that game that led to turnovers that stalled and stopped Texas AM drives and even led to some Florida scores in that game. You know, and then guys like Amari Bernie, who continue to make amazing play after amazing play this season. Uh, that is a guy that's put a lot of good stuff on tape this year. And, you know, I, I just salute him for giving it his all in his final year as a Gator in a Gator uniform. And I really do hope that he continues to finish the season strong because I think it potentially could lead to an opportunity for him post-college. So you know, I'm just thrilled with a lot of the younger guys that I'm seeing on this team. And I just think overall, the future is bright. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely talk about young guys stepping up. You got to talk about the receivers that stepped up. No Justin Shorter. Uh, you would think that that would mean that Florida's receivers would struggle to get open. And at times they did because that, you know, Shorter is the guy in the passing game, I guess, 
well, him and Pearsall are, are co guys in that sense, but losing shorter is a huge blow. And you figure, well, Florida's receivers haven't really gotten a ton of separation all year long. This might be a game where against yes, a decimated opponent, but nonetheless, an sec team, this might be a game where they struggle in the passing game. Caleb Douglas, Jaquavion Fravers, Frazier's make two of the best catches all year. Frazier's going up to get that fade route in the corner of the end zone. Caleb Douglas putting on the, the Madden, aggressive catch button smashing that you know, active catch or aggressive catch, whatever. I can't remember. I haven't played Madden in a few years, but the, the, the aggressive catch button to go get that ball after the receiver has kind of fallen down, but he just wants to make absolutely damn sure that he's going to pull that ball in. And he does. And those are two touchdowns that Florida was down 24, 20 that make it 34, 24 Florida. And finally it, something Florida hasn't had a lot of this year. They had, they had breathing room. They go into the fourth quarter up double digits, up multiple scores, and they got to, I don't want to say play on cruise control, but they got to play with a little bit more relaxation in their bodies. They got to play a little bit less of a tense game for once. So definitely shout out to those guys. Obviously the guys on the defense that you talked about, uh, maybe those aren't new guys, but I mean, Lloyd Summerall falling on that football, getting the recovery, someone that never really got a ton of playing time with Brenton Cox getting a lot of the time. Dustin, I agree with your your point about addition by subtraction. I don't have anything terrible to say about him, but I just think it was better for the program to move on without him. And Lloyd Summerall is going to be a guy that's going to be seeing playing time in his you know in the wake of his dismissal, and he steps up and falls in the ball. So give him credit for that. And that brings us to the guy that uh, I think is going to decide Florida's fate the next three games, how he plays. And it's Anthony Richardson. Florida uh, definitely had some plays that, that went well because of some things that he did. There definitely were some other plays that Richardson could have made that he did not. Dustin, we'll start with you. You're the former QB. What did you think of his performance? So Anthony Richardson is, he, he's definitely shown improvement. And I know that I mentioned the fact that he had not thrown a pick in three games. And that's spectacular, in, in my opinion, because early in the season, that was really his Achilles heel, is the fact that he was sort of a boomer bust player. He would make the great throw, but he would also make the abysmal throw and throw it into double coverage or triple coverage and get the interception. So the fact that he's being more careful with the ball, it shows not only his growth, but his growth in this particular offense. Billy Napier's offense is challenging. It's not necessarily a quarterback friendly offense it's an offense that when done right can be incredibly successful it is an offense that lends itself to the pros but I would say that it's not as quarterback friendly as what Dan Mullen ran uh with with Anthony Richardson and and uh going back to all that he did as a coach so I a play that I want to specifically focus on and and I may end up bringing this up later in the pod when we get to our play of the game, but I just want to focus on it for this, this brief session is that fade route that Anthony Richardson threw to Frazier's. We know that Anthony Richardson can throw darts. We know that Anthony Richardson can get the ball into a tight window. The question that I've had all season is, can he make the throw the fade route? where he has a very specific spot that he can get it to. And if it's not in that spot, it's either overthrown or intercepted. He put the ball perfectly, perfectly 
in in the in the hands of Frazier's to the point where the announcer called it a miracle. Neil, you know me. Chris, you know me. You know I believe in miracles. I don't think that was a miracle. That was practice. That was hard work by Anthony Richardson to get the ball in the perfect spot with the right amount of touch. I was super impressed. We can go on and on about the runs. 60-yard run, amazing. But that throw right there tells me all I need to know. And, man, I sure hope that Anthony Richardson comes back next year because if he does, it could be a special season. Well, he needs to come back next year. Not even because there, there are three quarterbacks who I think are very clearly ahead of him in, in Hooker, Stroud, and, and Young. And next year's draft class will be a little bit freer for him. But he he still has these plays where he just he doesn't read the field. He doesn't go through his progressions. He doesn't do the fundamental things he has to do and that we know he can do. That's the most frustrating thing about him is that he will do all the fundamental things you want a quarterback to do. You know, he'll, he'll move defenders with his eyes. He'll look around the field. He'll go primary, secondary, third receiver, maybe check down and then tuck it. He won't stand there and be you know indecisive. But on a couple plays here and there, just enough to make you have doubts, an NFL scout, the margin for error in the NFL is going to be much less. It's a much less forgiving league than the SEC is. You can't have it. So the mistake from AR that, that, that I tweeted out that wound up costing Florida seven points in the aftermath of it, 225 to go, first and 10 at your own 28-yard line. OL does a nice job. He's got a clean pocket. Receivers can't get open. Richardson just stands there with all day, but no one's open. So now he's got a check down route in Xavier Henderson, who's open because the guy who's supposed to be covering him, the defender has backed off probably because he's waiting for either Richardson to scramble or for another receiver to break off his route and head in his area. Neither thing happens. And it's just a stalemate, but that means because the defender has backed off, that means Hendo is wide open. So he's not going to go 70 yards. If AR throws it to him because he's, three or four yards behind line of scrimmage, but he probably gets five or six. And remember, he's a punt returner. His job is literally to break tackles in one-on-one in the open field situations. And it's a quick and easy throw for Richardson. And then it's Hendo versus one defender and nobody else in the area. And if he breaks that tackle, it's at least 20 yards, maybe even more, because if you watch the play, he's got a blocker in Jacobion Frazier's downfield. If he can clear this one defender and get to the area where Frazier's is in uh, at the 45-yard line, but instead, AR turns in his direction and then just fires the ball out of bounds. He's not about to get sacked. He has at least a second and a half, if not two seconds, before the pocket will collapse and he has to try to escape. Doesn't even glance at the check down over there. Just throws it away. And that's a killer. That's a killer because worst case scenario, that's five or six yards and you've got the ball moving. You've got, you know, you're, you're, you're ahead of schedule. You're, you're moving the football and you're looking to start a nice drive to score before the end of the half. Worst case scenario, defender closes quickly. Hendo does a little jitterbug move that doesn't work and winds up spinning around and goes backwards. And it's a two or three yard gain. That's the worst it gets. And in that case, that at least bleeds clock. But by throwing it out of bounds, you save AM a timeout that stops the clock, or it saves 15, 20 seconds before you run your next play. Cause you know, when you have the ball in a two-minute drill, you're not going to burn off all 40 before you're trying to score. And Florida wound up having to punt on that drive and AM scored. So ultimately, not the worst mistake he's ever made, but 
it hurt. That that's a bad mistake. So something he's going to have to learn from. If you've got a check down open, got to go there. You can't throw the ball out of bounds like that. Just just, just can't do it. Yeah, I think this the, his performance highlighted the. The, the possibility of his ceiling and what we've always said, which is to be potentially the best player in college football. When he was able to go 66 yards on that touchdown run in the first half and just to change a game, flip a switch just like that, he has that innate ability to do that just purely because of his athleticism, which is why he's continuously still to this day being mocked high in the NFL draft for next season. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what he decides to do in the offseason if he's continuously still being mocked as a first-round pick because it's very difficult money to give up despite the fact he might not be a finished product, which he will not be. I, there's no way by the end of the season he'll be a finished product ready for the NFL, at least in my mind, based on the things that you've all discussed here tonight, which I, I, I agree with all of that. He continuously still misses reads, doesn't see the field as it's developing completely in front of him. But he can make some incredible throws because Dustin highlighted that beautiful fade route to Jaquavion Frazier. So we'll see what happens in the offseason. And, and, and that's another reason why it would be great to have some additional bowl practices with him working with Billy Napier in December. And then that leads into the offseason training program if he decides to come back. So I, I'm, 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 I'm optimistic about his future here, hopefully at Florida if he stays. But we'll see. We'll, we'll definitely see how things shake out over the next couple of weeks. Well, I mean, I hear you on the on the first round prospect. It's a, it's gonna be a project, but he'll learn. But meanwhile, he's getting first round money. The alternative thought to that is you get a nice little deal with Gator Collective. You come back, you get some money in your bank account. In the meanwhile, you improve that from fifteen to twenty five ish in the first round to number one quarterback in the lead or in on people's draft board, top five pick, even more money. And you, and you make money that way. The difference between being drafted fifth overall and drafting 25th is pretty big. So, and, you know, with Gator Collective paycheck in the bank too, definitely some upside uh, and re- realistic reason for him to return. So anyway, yes, I think Richardson did play well on the whole. The run, uh, the, the touchdown runs were both demonstrations of exactly why he's so highly thought of. He's powerful and he's fast. The throws we talked about, the one to Frazier's in the end zone on the fade, the one to Caleb Douglas, both great. Did a good job, I thought, leading the offense overall. But just those mistakes here and there are things he's got to clean up if he wants to be a guy to, that gets drafted and then will play fairly soon in the NFL because the NFL is not the place where you're going to learn that and be forgiven for those mistakes. It's going to be harder to bounce back from that. Anyway, Big win for the Gators, 41-24. It is Billy Napier's first multi-score win over an FBS team at the University of Florida. His first road win at the University of Florida. Got the Gators 5-4. and four. Three big games coming up as we talked about. Let's put this one to bed with our final word. So, Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, what was your play of the game? Uh, my play of the game is going to be... I'll, I'll take the the fade route from Anthony Richardson. That after that point, you know that was the first touchdown of the half, and it just set the tone for the rest of the game. Just an incredible throw by Anthony, and great catch by Jaquavion Frazier too to come down with that ball. It looked like he hurt his wrist on that play too. So great for him to finally come down with that ball, and and, and from there the Gators were off to the races the rest of the way. As far as my play of the game, I'm going to have to go with that incredible run by Etienne. The one where he made like four guys miss and had the ESPN commentators going crazy. 
what a great play by ETN, a guy that I've already talked about him, but I'm excited about his future as a Gator. Honorable mention for me for the play of the game uh, goes to the two strip sacks because those were huge, and the defensive line finally stepped up and did something positive. I'm going to go with the two touchdowns that Anthony Richardson threw. I'm going to split this into two plays, the co-plays of the game. As I mentioned earlier, Justin Shorter being out, Florida having to go to its backup receivers, go to its bullpen, so to speak. And two of the guys that ordinarily don't see a ton of playing time each made a huge play. Frazier's with the fade route touchdown, a tremendous catch at the goal line, navigating that sideline and the defender, probably even getting held along the way. Comes up with that ball, touchdown, Florida has the lead for good. And then on uh, two drives later, Caleb Douglas crushing that aggressive catch button on Madden and just actively going up and grabbing the ball for an insurance touchdown. Uh, so two huge plays. I'm splitting the honor between those two. Uh, player of the game for you guys is who? I'm going to go Anthony Richardson. I, I, there, I don't think there's any way that that performance happens without his, his efficient quarterback play. No turnovers, protected the football, almost 300 total yards of offense accounted by him. The two touchdown passes as well as two touchdown runs. Just an amazing performance. The type of performance we were hoping for all season. Yeah, I was going to go with AR, but I'm actually going to I'm gonna go with instead Montreal Johnson. I thought he played great, 100 yards rushing, one touchdown, one play after another. What a, what a, what a game by all the backs. But I want to definitely shout out Montreal Johnson. How about the guy who blocked for Montreal Johnson? The SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week, Osiris Torrance. That's going to be my guy. He was just an absolute animal. He was on on multiple plays. There, I saw this from as sitting up in the clouds and behind the end zone, kind of an all 22 look, given how steep their stadium is. From that look, there were three plays where he blocks multiple guys and just knocks them flat down on their backs and then just looks around like, all right, I did my job. Who, who else's job am I going to do? Who else, who else am I going to bulldoze right now? At least three plays that I can remember off the top of my head where he just clears multiple Aggies out of the way and opens up huge holes for Montreal Johnson and ETM and Richardson for that matter. So offensive lineman of the week obviously is not a mistake. He graded out extremely highly. Definitely gets, uh, definitely deserves a lot of praise, and he'll get it here in that. So, grades, offense, defense, special teams, and coaching, and overall, what have we got, Chris? For the first time this season, I'm, I'm going to start with the coaching staff. I'm going to give the coaching staff an A. This was their best coaching job yet this season. Maybe outside of the Utah game, I thought that they just made some incredible second half adjustments, especially Patrick Tony, the much maligned defensive coordinator the last couple of games. His defense played stellar in the second half. Billy did a great job calling the game overall, I would say. I thought there was a lot more creativity in the passing game that they took advantage of and, and utilized our receivers and AR skills better. And, of course, the run game, as Dustin mentioned, was extremely strong, almost 300 yards on the ground. So fantastic job by the coaching staff. They deserve an A. Offense. I'm I'm gonna go a minus. They left some points on the on the field, but I, overall, an, a great performance. They put a forty burger on Texas A&M. Something that's definitely something to celebrate when you put up that many points on an SEC squad, like a team with A&M who still has a lot of talent on the field. Overall, I know like 
this was the, their C team as Neil calls them, but there's a lot of talent on that field. Some players in which Florida was heavily recruiting last season, like a guy like Jacoby Matthews, who, who made some good plays in that game as well. Defense, I will give them, I'm going to give them a B plus. Obviously they're going to get nicked for the, for the slow start, but stellar second half, stellar second half for some big turnovers in the second half. And there was a, an actual pass rush consistently for the first time this season. So B plus for them. And then special teams, uh, special teams was okay. I think they're probably the lowest grade. I'll give them a C plus that, you know, a missed kick by Mahalik that was a, was a, a chip shot, but he, then he made the 50 yarder. So kind of an incon- the inconsistencies of him still sort of remain. And there's a lot left to be desired there. Uh, and we didn't really have to punt the ball a whole lot in this game. So that, that was kind of a good thing, but Overall performance grade for the Gators, I'm going to give us I'm going to give us a 91. I thought it was just a really good performance. I'm really happy about this. So 91% for me. Good grades, Chris. And just like you, I'm going to go ahead and go with the coaching staff first. I'm actually going to give them a B. Now, the only thing preventing them from getting an A was I was slightly disappointed with how we finished the first half. I thought there was some confusion there. And I thought we could have played that a little bit better. I always want to be aggressive in that situation. I always want to go for the big play. But I think we bounced back incredibly well. I already spoke at nauseum about how impressed I was with the 17-point uh, win um, and, and, all, and all the points that we scored in the second half and all the points we did not give up in the second half. So great job by the coaching staff. As far as offense, I'm going to give them an A-. minus. I think we played great. There was some points left on the field, but anytime you're scoring 41 points against anybody in the SEC, I think that's something to be happy about, especially at this phase in the rebuild. I think if we score 40 points against uh, South Carolina or Vanderbilt, I'll be elated. It doesn't matter who you play. You, you, that's a that's a good times. That's a good score against an SEC team. Defense B plus. I thought we played great. We could have played better early on, but we definitely improved on our effort as the game went on. And of course, uh, we held them to nothing the second half. Special teams, the big kicker on that one was the fact that we missed a field goal. You can't miss field goals. You gotta you gotta make your field goals. That's I field goals, I know they're not the easiest thing in the world, but I liken field goals to free throws. You got a guy on the team that that's their specialty. You got to make field goals. For that reason, I'm giving special teams a B minus. And you know how I like to do it. I like to go through and average everything. And I'm going to go ahead and give the team an 86% on the performance. Big time win. Well-deserved right there. Deal? Offense is fairly easy. I'm going to give it a solid 90, straddling the border between an A- and a B plus. And I'll give it the A- minus because it came up clutch when it had to and because it finished the game off right with a touchdown. I do kind of split the blame for that fourth and one failure uh, on the coaching and the OL just not blocking. And against the better team, that could have been very costly that they didn't put that game away. And Richardson did make a couple of mistakes reading the field. Talked about that play at the end of the first half. Definitely some room to improve there, but not going to complain too much. 492 yards and 41 points is a perfectly acceptable showing for a road game in the SEC, regardless of how sick that team may be. So A- minus for them. Defense is a lot tougher to grade. On the midterm, a.k.a. the first half, they get a big, fat, nasty F. And it's that kind of F where 
yeah, it it's that F. It is that kind of F where you got to drop the class and just not show your face. Keep in mind the opposition, the personnel loss that the already weak opposition had. Now look at what they did. As I went through this earlier, but go through it again now for the grades purposes. First drive, touchdown. Second drive, touchdown. Third drive, the touchdown is there. Haynes King just misses the throw. Then a punt. I give them you know, a few points for that in the first half. And then the next drive, touchdown again. So four of the five drives in the first half, Florida's defense get either gives up a touchdown or the defense is beaten to the point where a touchdown is there to be had and A&M just refuses to take advantage of it because King misses a throw. So that's awful. That's awful for an offensive line for A&M. It has three freshmen starting you, you can't have that happen. 316 yards and 24 points should have been 28 with a good throw. It is 28. You, you can't, you just can't have it. So I'll give them like a 15 grade for the first half and then a switch flips. And, and it's just that binary for as bad as the defense was in the first half. It was that great in the second half, the pressure that the defensive line applies, the two strip sacks, Princely, Uman Mielin, Amari Bernie forcing them, Lloyd Summerall, Antoine Powell, Ryland recovering those balls, not just knocking the ball out, but the presence of mind to see that the ball is out and then go fall on it. All great. AM has to punt on all their other possessions. Florida's, Defense actually held AM to a grand total of four yards on their first two drives of the third quarter. Just just absolutely night and day. So I'll give them a, a 95 because I guess in theory you could have stopped the drives before AM gets into Florida's territory where you then punch the ball out. AM had gotten a few first downs before that happened. So I guess you could have not given those first downs up. But so 95 for the second half. And those two grades, if you if you average them out, that's uh, that's a fifty five. That's that's still a failure. But here's where I'll 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 be the the generous and and warm hearted professor who tells the kid, you know, you got a fifteen on your midterm. Your your grade, your average so far for this semester, halfway through it, is a fifteen. You should probably drop the class. The kid says you know what? No, I'm going to have a change of heart. I know you're telling me I should drop the class, but I'm going to redouble my efforts. I'm going to go back and work, work, work. And the second half of the semester gets a 95 for the last 50% of the semester. It's not cumulative, but just over the last 50% of the semester gets a 95. So average that all out and he brings it up to a 55. And the professor then looks at it and goes, you know what? Technically, this is a failure, but you worked so hard. You tried your best. You did everything you possibly could. And the results were there. Not like, you know, you tried your best and the results just weren't there. And it, it just it just didn't happen. No, you tried your best and the results reflected it. I'm impressed with the effort. I give you credit for that adjustment in the second half. So even though it averages out to be a 55, which is a failure, I'm going to reward the effort. I'm going to reward the resilience, the bounce back in the second half. And I'm going to give you that D I'm going to give you that, that passing grade. So you can, you can check this off and you can say, I passed it. Don't have to repeat it. And you know, you, you can move on and go on to your next course towards, towards graduation. So I'll give Florida that passing grade out of just sheer generosity because that, that first half was, was appalling. Special teams. I'm actually going to be nicer here than Dustin was. Florida did some nice things in the kicking game. They had a nice punt return by Xavier Henderson. There was the missed field goal by Mahalik. That was 
you know, a chance to go up by 13 and not 10. So you go up by two touchdowns and not just a touchdown in the field goal, but he did make a 50 yarder. I'll say that those two cancel each other out. There were none of the really bad things. There were no kickoffs out of bounds. There were no punts blocked. There were no holding calls on kick returns or anything like that. He took touchbacks when the kicks were deep. He didn't run it out. He gets stuffed at the 13 yard line. All that was good. Uh, Florida didn't punt the ball a ton, but I thought that their coverage when they did was good. I thought that aside from the missed field goal, Florida really did everything they could have possibly done well in special teams. So I'll give them a B plus coaching. I don't like that play call on fourth down and goal that gets stuffed. I understand why you go for it. I agree with the call to go for it, but I, I just would have run the ball on the outside. I would, I would have tried some run pass option. I know the offensive line was for the most part doing its job. And I understand that's probably why Napier decided to utilize that offensive line with a power run on fourth and goal and just try to get three feet. I get that, but I also thought Florida had shown a lot of that throughout the game. And I thought this is the time to maybe try to extend the play outside the numbers, try to utilize the whole field, maybe do maybe, you know, an old fashioned option, maybe try a run pass option where he's got a tight end leaking out in the corner or something like that. I, I just, I didn't like the repetitiveness of that dive play that Florida ran. It was almost uh, Adazio asking. Speaking of, speaking of Steve Adazio, the offensive line coach for Texas A&M University, those OG and all kinds of weather followers will remember that way back in our previous life, this brand, the in all kinds of weather brand, was firestevedazio.com way back in 2010 when Ryan Moyer created this site. Yeah, that was that was us. That was this in all kinds of other brands. So, you know, don't don't hate the man, don't have anything against him personally, but oh wow, was he just abysmal at being an offensive coordinator. And I, I will in fact say till my dying day, he was the worst offensive coordinator Florida has ever had. It, it's and he got some competition from Brent Pease and Doug Nussmeyer, but yikes. But anyway, coaching is going to get a B plus. I thought that the play calling was repetitive at times. I do think Napier needs an offensive coordinator. I think he needs to get go get a young, hungry, creative mind to maybe help him keep up with uh, all the innovations that are happening in college football these days. Maybe Florida can be the team that has the cutting edge offense soon, but Um, I mean, he clearly got the players to believe he got them to play hard for him. The schematic adjustments were made with the stunts on defense. Coach chaos definitely gets some, some props there. And the the coaching gets a B plus for all it did in the halftime locker room. And overall, I will say Florida gets a, mm, I'll say Florida gets an 82. It's, it's a B minus. It's a passing grade. It's, it's fine. It's, it's just it's perfectly acceptable for a rebuilding year for year one under Billy Napier. I have been very, very loud about my feeling that this season by no means is an indication of what's going to come under Billy Napier in the future. We're just discussing the year in a vacuum at hand because we are currently in the 2022 season. We're not here to talk about the 2024 season or the 27 season. We're in the midst of the 22 season. So we're going to talk about this season as it stands, as things play themselves out. And when the future happens, when the future becomes the present, we can then look back and say, yeah, it was a rebuilding year, all that and so on. But as it stands now, that's the way it is. 
All right. Well, those are our grades. Uh, definitely some some variation between mine and and Dustin's and Chris's. But I mean, the defense that the defense earned that grade. The defense earned what I gave them. So that's that's just the way it is. I mean, you you, you can't take a whole half off and expect to get anything you know pretty. But uh, the Gators got the win. That's what matters most. They got the win. They're five and four. Their first multi-score win under Napier. Their first road win under Napier. Got three more games to go at least. Hopefully, I'm assuming they win one of them. They will make a bowl game, so we can say four more games to go. Um, Dustin, I think I think you've earned this one. You got to yeah, send us off the way only you can. What, Neil? You got it, What? Man. This is all you. Oh! I know what we're doing. Da, 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 da. Go Gators! Da, 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 da. Go Gators! Come on, Gators! Get up and go! Beat South Carolina, beat Vanderbilt, and beat FSU, and then beat the crap out of the team who played the bowl game. Go Gators! There you have it. There's the. <laughs> We've missed that. We haven't had that in. Oh man! Uh, since Utah, we didn't do it for. He's uh, back. Yeah, we hey, do that. If if we actually beat FSU, you might have to do something with your your speakers, everybody. <laughs> it's gonna be great. One step at a time, guys. Go Gators, and uh, we'll see you soon with our South Carolina preview. Go Gators. Go Gators.